Back on his skates. Here we go. A penalty shot in OT. February 16th, 2018, and I am Steve Bennett, the host of the Sportscasters. Really excited to be here today for Season 8, Episode 1. I finished Season 7 sometime before Christmas, and usually uh, the podcast will end right around, uh, the season will end right around Christmas time, and then we'll take a break for the holiday. And then we'll come back uh, with the next season. But I took a little bit longer this time because I had to regroup uh, a little bit. Uh, I think the reality during Season 7 came came to focus that Don was not going to be able to commit to this show every week. Uh, That our schedules just did And it's not all Don's fault. It just didn't match uh, with me having a daughter now, Don having two kids. Don started a new job for many years during the history of the show, Don worked just minutes from the studio. And now, even though he's not far in miles from the studio, he's in a really bad spot to try to get here right after work. So it just just didn't seem like it was going to work. I reached out to Don a few times about doing a show and and didn't really hear back from him. And I was kind of getting the impression that he didn't want to to do it. So my, my thought was, well, there's two chairs in this room and one is always open for Don. And anytime Don is available and wants to come and be in one of those chairs, I'd be glad to have him. But I think I know that the reality is that the sportscasters going forward is going to be my show for the most part. A solo show some weeks. Other weeks I might ask someone to to guest host. Mike Abelson has been a guest host of this show. My brother Anthony Day has been a guest host of this show. And I'd like to branch out and get more people uh, to be to be guest hosts in the future uh, because I like doing three things, but I don't like doing three things as much by myself. Uh, and I like doing uh, one last thing, but I think one last thing works better when there's two people and both people are kind of commenting on the other person's one last thing. Uh, I, I thought that worked really well when Don and I would do that and Don would do like a video games one last thing and I would be able to get some questions in. It was almost like a third and fourth interview sometimes on the show and, and showed off our personality. So I like that. And look, at it, before I go even any further, I mean, I should thank Don really for his contributions to the show. There wouldn't be a Sportscasters podcast without Don and the years and the hours he put into this show. I could never, I could never thank him enough. Uh, the, the, the fact is though, that for the entirety of the run, it's been my show. Uh, every segment we've ever written, every guest we've ever had, uh, every edit that's ever been made, it's been my sweat and my, my work. And Don, sometimes I think, you know, in a perfect life, he would have been more engaged, but the reality was from a very early point, he had responsibilities outside. I started this podcast for the most part because I needed to fill time because of the realities of my health. Uh, I had had a career that I could no longer 
be a part of. And I needed something. I needed an outlet. I needed something to do, and the sportscasters became that. Uh, so uh, I always had more time than he did, and I was always more aggressive than he was, and that's true in life. I don't think Don has the, the personality uh, to book guests. You know, I don't think he could have ever done that. And uh, and maybe I should get to that. You know, one reason that the sportscasters was less in 2017 and one reason that I didn't start right away in 2018 is I was burned out with booking guests. It's difficult. Uh, many of the guests are prima donnas. Uh, they don't respond uh, to your requests. No is usually never said. It's just you're ignored and you take that as a no. Uh, people say they're going to be on at 4 o'clock. Then you call them at 4 o'clock. They don't answer. You try them until 6 o'clock for two hours. They never get back to you. Uh, you know, people are busy. And doing this is a favor, really. Uh, and asking people over and over for a favor year in and year out gets difficult. Uh, and I was a little burnt out. And also I had my hands in a lot of different fires. Uh, I wanted to do more with podcasting than the sportscasters. Uh, last year, I started a show with Adrian Dater called uh, The Lonely End of the Rink. And although we've not officially announced that The Lonely End of the Rink is dead, The Lonely End of the Rink is dead. Uh, I would still do them. It's also This is also where it's up to Dater. I mean, I will do a podcast with him, but his circumstances have changed. He's now working for a startup where he is asking people to give him money for his avalanche coverage, and he needs to get dedicate himself to that. And he travels a lot when he covers the avalanche. He doesn't like to do podcasts when he travels because of his history of getting in trouble on the road. He he, he likes to uh, keep his schedule clear, and I totally understand it, and I love Adrian. And again, I'd work with him any time. I think that's why we're not like coming out and saying it's done because maybe we do two, three more, two or three more this year. That's cool. I'll do them. But I think for a show like that to truly build momentum and to make a difference – uh, we need to do them at least bi-weekly or weekly. Uh, so the lonely end of the rink is still a thing. And I'm not going to maintain its own separate feed anymore. It will just be a part of the sportscaster's feed. And then the logo will be different. Uh, all the podcasts that I work on are going to be under the sportscaster's feed. Uh, sportscaster's proper podcast like this one will have the sportscaster's logo. If I throw... A Lonely End of the Ring podcast in the mix. You'll see that logo. And another project I've been working on is called Arm Drags and Rainmakers with a kid from Boston named Mike Abelson. Uh, a really nice kid. And the concept there is that we would expose each other to the type of wrestling and matches that we enjoy uh, on an alternating basis. So when we have our quote-unquote arm drag shows, it's me introducing Mike to 80s wrestling, 90s wrestling, the kind of wrestling I enjoy and getting his reaction and providing context and history uh, for that era. And then on our Rainmaker shows, we switch seats and uh, Mike will show me matches from the present day, the independence, the New Japans, uh, the luchador wrestling, things that he enjoys. And we can provide context and history to those. So I'm really excited about that concept and we're going to do that hopefully biweekly. Uh, and those will show up on the feed uh, with an Arm Drags and Rainmakers logo. Uh, so everything is centralized to Sportscasters. So SoundCloud.com slash Sportscasters. Or if you if you uh, subscribe to Sportscasters on SoundCloud or iTunes or Stitcher, you can find us. And you'll get everything right there. 
Uh, if you want more information, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at sports underscore casters there. I'm going to try to use the blogs more, the Tumblr page. Every once in a while, I'll do a live blog. Uh, that could be fun. I'm going to try to incorporate the Facebook page a little bit more. Uh, so I'm excited for 2018, and I'm excited to continue this new era of the sportscasters. Uh, I got a bunch of guests lined up. I got books ready for the book club, which will continue. And uh, I am just uh, feeling motivated today, and hopefully it will uh, steamroll into 2018, into the into spring and summer. And we'll have a great year. I'm excited to do Arm Drags and Rainmakers with Abelson. Hopefully some more hockey-specific shows with Dater will be in the mix. And also I produce a podcast called uh, Motivation Through Music with a friend of mine that I grew up with named Matthew Sobalski. Now that podcast does have its own SoundCloud feed. It's soundcloud.com slash motivation through music pod. Uh, and you can find that Motivation Through Music pod uh, with its own Apple Podcasts and its own Stitcher. Uh, so that does live independently, but I do produce that show and I do appear on Mike on that show. And it was originally based on his book, Find Your Playlist. Uh, but once we got through the book, we've come to this really cool idea where we break down in long form a song, an album, a year, or a theme in music. And this week, uh, today, actually, we recorded Yield, uh, Pearl Jam's album Yield, which I was really excited to do. And I think it turned out really great. Uh, so I'm on that as well. So I got like four different podcasts that I'm working on. Uh, the sportscasters will have my main focus. Uh, and I'm going to try to uh, grow uh, what we have I have done since 2011. Uh, and with that being said, we have a great show today. Uh, Richard Deitch is on the show. Richard Deitch was on the third ever episode of the sportscasters back in 2011. Uh, and he's been on several times since. Uh, he's someone that I went viral with in the summer of 2014 with our best picture ever thread, uh, which was the greatest thing to ever happen to me on Twitter. Uh, I gave a speech at my at my brother's wedding that summer. Uh, my brother, my brother Greg, wanted everyone in the wedding to give a speech, so I went first and and I thanked our thanked our our parents and her parents. And I talked about what a year 2013 had been and how, you know, went through everyone's accomplishments. Anthony had won a national championship. My brother Greg was getting married. You know, I had a cousin who graduated high school, another cousin who started nursing school, you know, grandparents and parents who had achieved 30 or 40 years of marriage, whatever the case was. And I said, but you know what? I could go on and on about how much I love my brothers. But one of the coolest things about 2013 is the whole world got to see it for themselves uh, through our best uh, moment ever. Uh, fame, I suppose, that lasted, yeah, about 15 minutes uh, like it should. Uh, so Richard Deitch is going to be on. We're going to talk with Richard about, oh, we go all over the place. We talk about the Olympics. Uh, we talk about uh, Tony Romo. Uh, we cover all kinds of different topics in sports media. It's about 53 minutes long. It's always fun. After that, I'll be back, and I will uh, 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 talk about the book club. Two really exciting book club announcements. Two great books to kick off 2018. I'm really enthusiastic about both of them, uh, so I can't wait to do that. Then after that, uh, Greg Wyshynski, formerly the Puck Daddy when he worked at Yahoo. He's now at, of course, ESPN.com. And he was on the second ever show, and he joins us to talk about the NHL. So I do 30 minutes with Greg talking about 
the NHL players not being at the Olympics. Uh, we talk about surprises like the Las Vegas Knights. We talk about disappointments like the Sabres. Uh, we talk about Tyler Hall and his MVP-type season. And we talk about the playoff playoff format. Should it change? Do GMs and owners want it to change? And then I'll end the show like I always have with one last thing. Uh, so with all that said, I appreciate your patience and letting me kind of lay all that out. Uh, with all that said, we'll take a break. And uh, we will be right back with the first guest of Season 8 from Sports Illustrated, Richard Deitch. All right, our next guest lives in New York, and he covers the sports media beat for Sports Illustrated. He's a graduate of the University of Buffalo, and he was on the third ever episode of the Sportscasters. A warm welcome to our friend, Richard Deitch. Welcome back, Richard. Welcome back to me. It's been a while. Yeah, Thank we, you for the invite. We've missed you. It's tough to track down in the, uh, the 2015, 16, 17, 18s. Who, how many? Who leads the uh, pack now in most appearances? Jenkins. Yeah, still Lee. I mean, probably at the pace I do them now, and at the pace I welcome people back, he'll be the number one probably forever. What is Jenkins? What's the uh, what's the official count? For he's Jenkins? at he's at twenty. He's at twenty. Yeah. And what's his last appearance? Yeah, it's been over a year. Like I think All I told right, so not not you haven't got him since. Uh, uh, for this season, Cavs, LeBron, this season, right? No, now. but I, he's on my list, my short list of like the first five or six of this year. I want to get him in, you know, since it's been so long. I just have to decide, like, do I want him now or do I want to save him for playoffs? Because I'm not sure he'd want to save him for the playoffs. Yeah, because he'll be, he'll be, he'll have talked to a lot of the interesting people in the NBA, and that'll be a good podcast. Well, that's one of your things you predicted is just like how hot the NBA is in general, right? I mean, they've really taken advantage of, I mean, whatever dip in excitement there is for the NFL. And, uh, I mean, they've really just surged the last uh, three seasons, maybe even. And uh, Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, the NBA's kind of been, like, for lack of a better word, sort of a hot league since, since Jordan's time. You know, it started with Magic and Bird, and Jordan brought it to another level, but... It's had, like, I would think, maybe resurgence isn't the right word, but it's definitely an ascendant league in the last couple of years with the new television contract and with, and this is just sort of my theory, social media has taken the NBA to just a different place because right. the players in the league embraced it. Both the players in the league embraced it. The players are have their own, basically, individual brands, and not just the LeBrons or the Westbrooks, but, like, you know, the ninth player in the rotation is a well-known person on social media. So I think they've just like made themselves so attractive to a group of 20-somethings in particular that that's why I think the league is sort of ascending and feels hotter. It's because they've, maybe more than any other major sport, connected to uh, fans on social media. That said, the NFL is still obviously much bigger, much more popular, but, but the NBA has done a great job in getting itself in places where um, young people consume their content. Why do you think the NBA has been so successful at being socially active, socially aware, and even sometimes socially aggressive, but not sort of getting in 
the mud you can get into with that like the NFL has? Well, I just I think honestly it's sort of how we um perceive the two sports. There's and again, just my opinion doesn't mean I'm right or wrong, but my theory would be that the NBA there's a much more of an acceptance of individualism in the NBA, including individual thought, um individual opinion about issues that go beyond sports than in the NFL, which is a bigger team, far more regimented, far more um establishing like militarism and and uh you know sort of closed closed doorish kind of a closed doorish kind of league when it comes to you know practices and game plans versus the NBA which feels a little bit more open i think some of that could be um some of that could be the, the size of each team 12 people right versus 53 um i think certainly culturally it has to be uh, most of the people in the NBA are people of color. Uh, the NFL, uh, well, you know, maybe, I mean, the NFL is probably more people of color than anything else, but the, I would say the NBA over-indexes that. And uh, these are players with a lot of, you know, a lot of standing in their communities, and I don't. I think they're unafraid to speak about things that go beyond sports. There's also been no backlash from the current president with NBA players where... Right. There was a co- coordinated backlash when it came to the NFL, both from uh, the Trump White House as well as I would say Fox News. So that's that's probably the, the other reason is just that there are media criticizing NFL players, where there's not many media or not an established government body criticizing the NBA players. Maybe that changes, but so far that hasn't been the case. I was going to say, do you think that's uh, I don't want to say an ace in the hole? But do you think that that's something sort of bubbling under the surface that could kind of blow at any time if the gatekeepers I don't, I don't think, wanted I think, it to? I mean, you know, the, the, the theory would be, and it's probably an accurate theory, that the NBA's fan bases are in a lot of major cities and a lot of urban cities. So they're, they're, you're not going to get the same kind of blowback from fans in those cities if LeBron James talks about social uh, issues or political issues where you might get that from an NFL player who's saying that in Jacksonville. Uh, I think that's as much to do with it as anything else. I I think a lot of it just has to do with, like, if a a New York Nick is going to say something about politics or social issues, there's not going to be that much blowback. This is New York. There's, you know, 70 million ethnicities here. I think it might be different if an Alabama football player, uh, you know, says it somewhere in Alabama. Uh, I just think that, I think culturally it's going to play better in one place than another place. Um, but what if Beckham so, says yeah, it? So, yeah, so yeah my, my, my thought is I, I don't think NBA... I mean, listen, Greg Popovich, you know, has been very outspoken on the Trump White House and racism in this country. He's gotten... He's going to get blowback in certain quarters, but I don't think it's going to be nearly... He's, he's, I feel like he's also going to get so much support given that the fan base of that league, I think, would tend to agree with him more um, in his sport than maybe in some other sports. All right, let's back up a little bit. I don't, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. Uh, I was curious, why did you decide to go to two podcasts this year? A week, two a week. Well, it's very much in the weeds. Um, well, uh, the, the, because the 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 roundtable podcast, as a general rule, was drawing the most um, traffic and downloads. Not always the case. If I had a big name guest, obviously it's going to draw eyeballs to people who care about the content. But on a week-to-week basis, whenever I would do a roundtable, it would basically 
um, over-index the guest. So my thought was that, you know, as long as I'm willing to put the time in and as long as the production company that I work with is willing to put the time in, let's try to do two podcasts a week. Let's see what the larger combined number would be. Um, So one, let's see if it's worth it there. And two, it, um, it gave me a chance to, I think, get more voices into the podcast, just different people and bounce things off them. And the podcast, the, the, the roundtable I like because I, I can get involved in it, where I really try very hard when it's just a guest to really not in, in, um, interject that much at all. I, I, I kind of just want the guest to talk and, and to let the guest explain uh, why they're there and who they're about and what their process is. So that's selfishly probably another reason is the, the, um, the roundtable podcast just gives me a chance to give some opinion. Are you still enjoying it? in general doing the podcast I do, yeah i do i mean i do enjoy it i'll be blunt i don't get paid extra for it so you know it'd be great if uh if i did um but yeah i enjoy it because like i really love the medium um i think podcasts are among my favorite if not my favorite medium right now so i'm just glad to be a part of it and glad to be in it um i, I wish i had a better sense of how to promote it better and and how to you know like I, the Tell one thing that it. sports the one thing that Sports Illustrated doesn't have, where I'm really envious, like the Ringer and Barstool and these other places have, is they really have a podcast network, like a dedicated network to push podcast content really, really hard, and um, and you know invest a ton of money in it. And I love the fact that SI has allowed us to get to this place. Don't get me wrong; I mean, it, it was a long slog to to sort of convince them, and they've been awesome uh, in the last year or so. But you know, these other places really have like this established like podcast network where like if something happens like that day you could just basically go into their studios and tape it and come out in a half hour on it which is just awesome to me and obviously they have just hundreds of thousands of people listening so um you know i kind of wish i had a better and bigger distribution engine and some of that's on me but yeah i really enjoy it i I, i've just been able to like talk to so many more interesting people because of this podcast than i ever would like you know I, i got to talk to uh David Farenthold, who won the Pulitzer Prize from the Washington Post, um, you know that like that. That's not a sports interview, but that's just not something I, somebody I would ever get. The other thing, and this is just like kind of just cool in my world, is that you know I've talked and interviewed Jim Nance from many times, but Jim Nance is the one who wanted to do a podcast with me. He he had listened to it, he thought it was a cool forum, so that was just kind of awesome. And that like this guy wants to do like ninety minutes with me in this forum as opposed to like a sit down print interview. So it's really helped me in terms of what I do is it's for some people uh, in the sports media world, they just really enjoy like that forum because it gives them a chance to talk long. So, so yeah, I really like it. I'm glad I did it and uh, I'll certainly continue to do it. And, um, and, and hopefully, you know, at least the people who are kind of sports media nerds are enjoying it. Nance is one of the, one of the last people still on my list. My, uh, you know, my, you can, if, list. You, if you, if you, Give him an well. You really you'd have to go through CBS. I mean, obviously, I know the guy for a long time. But if you give him enough lead, lead time, he would do it. Jim Nance is not a diva in that. Like, oh, I'm a, I only do you know name podcasts. I think for him, it would just be: can you get on a schedule? Give him enough runway where there's a big lead up to it, and he'd do it. I, 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 he's a genuinely uh, decent guy. So I, I would I would continue to email CBS and and try to go for that one. I wanted to ask you this. So. You- you say you don't make any extra money for the podcast, but it does generate revenue, correct? So yeah, well, I mean, I'm part of I'm part of the other Sports Illustrated shows, 
And I think what they do is they sell against all of us, Peter King, Open Floor, which does really good traffic, mine, okay. uh, Grant Wall, uh, and a couple of others. So, yeah, I, I think the, magazine, the, the brand is probably making some money, and the production company is making money. And listen, it's part of, you know, I look at it now as just part of my job. So, like, that is just, what, that is just something I do in the same way I'm writing media stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, like, it'd be great to get paid extra just because, like, you know, when you're doing, like, in the talent world, the broadcasting world, if you do extra reps, you know, your agent gets you paid. So that would be a nice thing. But it's a labor of love for me. I, I, if, if, if I was only about money, I, I wouldn't be doing 162 of them at this point. Um, you know, I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But, you know, my uh, little kids need, you know, new sneakers every three days, it seems like, because they're <laughs> growing. So, you know, 20 extra bucks would be nice. Francesa was fascinating. That had to be fun, huh? To get him for an hour like that and just kind of... Say again? Francesa. Yeah, I mean, I, I've interviewed Francesa before, so um, the first time was very fascinating uh, because, you know, you're getting sort of the... You're getting, Mike, a little... Uh, how's the, how do I phrase this? You're not getting sort of radio Mike. You're getting a combination of the real Francesa and radio Mike. So that was really, really interesting. And then I just got, I thought I, I really enjoyed my interview with him. I just, I got him and I thought was a pretty good mood. He was on his way to the station. It was one of the last couple of days of his show. And, um, and he was doing a lot of press sort of about uh, the arc of his career. And so, yeah, I enjoyed that. It, it, um, I'll tell you a little inside baseball. I thought it would do a lot better than it did just because um, of just how, like, web traffic seems to blow up with Mike. But the, the thing I, I think I learned after the fact is, there are a lot of people in the country who've just never heard of them. Right. Um, you know, if you're not the hardest diehard sports fan, let's say in Louisiana, you may, you might kind of sort of like, it's not really a factor in your life. If you're a New York person or an East Coast type or maybe a transplant in California or Florida, obviously he's one of the more famous sports radio guys out there. But there is a big swath of the country that really doesn't have any connection to him at all. Well, their 30 for 30 was good proof of that, right? I mean, it was the highest rated one ever in New York, but the lowest rated one ever nationally, I think. Correct, yeah. So. And uh, I remember Chris Russo's uh, producer, not very happy with me when I put that out there, that like one of the lowest rated 30 for 30s. But it's true. It just it, like, it hit big. It over-indexed in New York. But nationally, and this is not a knock on them. They're the most famous sports talk show of all time. But, you know, you could think of any major sports talk host in a particular city the odds are a city a thousand miles away they've never heard of these people right and i think the only reason as many people have heard of mike and the mad dog as they have is because of yes uh i think because that... of yes i i mean i think they, they were first of all early forerunners in terms of being um a two-person team they were obviously early forerunners and being part of the first 24 7 sports talk station in the country they're in the new york market and anything in the New York market is always going to get, uh, you know, there's always going to be people who know you just because it's the biggest media market in the country. And then you're correct. The Yes Network picked them up for many years. So if you were a Yankee fan anywhere in this country, you saw them. And then, they, you know, they promoted themselves very, very well. You know, they were part of the the sort of the sports media uh, space. And so, um, so you know, the, the ratings for there, 30 for 30, didn't surprise me at all. I knew it would blow up and be massive in New York and maybe Boston and, and some of the, the East Coast markets, but I did not expect it to resonate at all uh, west of the Mississippi. Have you listened to the new show on WFAN at all? 
Not much. Maggie, Maggie Gray is a friend, and I love her uh, a couple times. You know, I, I, I like it. It's, it's very different, obviously. It's, if you're expecting Francesa, it's, it's not going to be a show for you. Um, but, I, I, you know, I think they're sort of, they're still working through it. I, I like each person individually, interestingly enough. I love Maggie. Uh, I'm a, I like Chris Carlin a lot. Uh, and Bart Scott's fine. You know, I, I think as, a, as sort of former athletes into broadcasting go, he seems like he works hard enough, et cetera. Um, I am not a big fan of three-person sports talk. Yeah, and I too think much. that that's, that's too many. And, and listen, I do three-person or four-person podcasts. So it's, it's um, I think in short bursts it can work if you did an hour, an hour and a half. I think day after day, what it does is it, it it does one of two things. One, somebody has to emerge as a star, or more likely, you don't want to overstep your colleagues, and you end up sort of awkwardly deferring at times. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not like jazz. It's a little too, you know, you got to get your take, you got to get your take, you got to get your take, and that's tough. Um, so I think that's one of the issues that they got to figure out is can, can a three-person booth, a booth, can a three-person sports talk team work long-term. Um, I would be curious, and I don't know if this has happened yet, if one of the three are off, how it sounds with just two. Yeah, and they're going to have to really get Scott caught up on baseball if it's going to work in that market. I mean, Especially brought... given how good the Yankees probably will be yep. and the fact that the Mets will be, at least generally speaking, in a race for a long time. Yeah, because I, I, mean, I haven't listened much, and even if I had, I wouldn't really criticize it yet because i think you got to give something like that at least six months time to breathe but i know that the main thing i've heard as far as criticism has been that he's shown himself to yeah, not I, have I think, the depth I mean, of knowledge in that yeah area. i mean i think bart scott got a little bit sort of screwed in that chris russo and some others were taking some shots at him via baseball before he there and you know as someone who's done a lot of radio you know, you, if you prep enough, you can learn any sport. Right. So for Bart Scott, I agree with you. He's just going to have to really, really prep hard on baseball so that it, at a certain point it just becomes familiar and natural when he's talking about it. Right. He's just going to have to be willing to put the time in and watch the games too. Yeah, know? which I, I mean, it's not rocket science. If you watch right. the game, if you take some notes, and if you read, you, you can get up on baseball. And I would think fairly quick. I mean, you know, the notion somehow that you got to be able to draw on, like, what happened in 2000. Uh, you know, uh, September 7th with the Yankees. I mean, some people can do that, and that's incredible recall, but most I feel like most sports talk fans and most sports talk callers, they just want what what is going on now, what what you think about what's going on now, and if you can get interviews with people who are in the now, that's what they want. Um, yeah, that's where that show can make some news, if they can get some newsmakers to come on and just, you know, say something interesting or say something news-breaking. Then they'll be able to get some pub. That's where Francesca and Russo obviously were great. You know, they do like a famous interview with like Pat Riley or, um, you know, or David Stern or something like that, and they'd be able to get press off it because their guests would just say something newsworthy. Or they would tell them how much they suck. You know, like those guys at both, like they would, you know, Russo especially would have, you know, Pat Riley on, and he'd be telling them how. Or what was the famous one with Milbury? Oh, Milbury didn't make any trades or the trade he yeah, made. Right. It's like Russo knows, admittedly, basically knows nothing about hockey, and he's just yeah, yeah, that, he's that, just that, that, cutting that, I mean, down. That, that's that's good radio, but it's also it's total bullshit in that you got to. I mean, Chris Russo wants to get on Bart Scott for not knowing baseball. I mean, right. Chris Russo <laughs> and hockey. That's right. all I would say. And yet he's just just 
crushing Milbury about not making a deadline trade like he knows exactly. anything about the market. Uh, I want to do a couple more minutes on podcasts, and I really want to get into SI for a few minutes. Uh, but, right. you know, it's interesting when I started this, uh, obviously you were one of the first few guests. You're on the third show. Uh, and Peter King was one of the first few guests as well. And I always bring him up because he had no idea what I was inviting him to. Uh, I sent him about four or five emails to stay on it. And finally he wrote back and said, what is it exactly you want from me? Like he did not really understand. And now here we are seven years later and he has one of the more successful podcasts. Everyone has a podcast. It's a crazy landscape. It's so filled. What do you think about the growth of podcasts? And do you think we're getting to a point where it, the format's going to reach ex- exhaustion or like when you sit, I mean, obviously you have a show. So when you sit down and think about uh, the, the, podcasts in general uh, and the growth so far um, where do you see do you see a level off do you see a dip do you see continued growth like how do you yeah, forecast continue growth I mean you know th- th- there's going to be a saturation because everybody's going to have a podcast but that's fine I mean there's so many niche interests that this the market could probably the market can have as many podcasts as it wants because there's such low barriers to entry but new players will come into the space put money behind it. You know, the question is going to be like, what will there, will, is there going to be a demand for sports podcasts, like in the serial manner? Like, could you do a crime podcast that, that involves sports? Could you get into the, you know, what Jim Miller's doing on origins? Is there more yeah, of a market good. for that where you do these, yeah, where you do these long form kind of stuff that, that to me is the big question when it comes to sports is, you know, what are, what are the net, what's the next iteration in terms of content plays? But no, I think it's going to grow. And I think, um, I think more outlets that don't have a podcast are going to continue to get one. Like, you know, if you're the Washington Post sports section, I don't know if they have a podcast, but if they don't, they will. It just makes sort of natural sense for them to do that. I also think young people, especially under 30, uh, they, they very much, like, live by their phones, their iPhone or et cetera. And podcasting is a very easy way for them to get audio on demand. They're used to the Netflix world, which is video on demand. So, yeah, I think the – Medium works for millennials in particular because it lets them um, listen and play and choose what they want when they want. It, it sort of fits. It, it, it feels much more millennial than traditional radio, where you got to be in the car or you got to be by a radio at a certain time to listen. I almost don't listen to anything that's not at least an hour. Um, if I look at a time and it's like twenty-seven minutes, I'm passing on it. I, I know that's for. Interesting. I mean, unless unless it's like. All it is is an interview. You know, like if, like if you were to put one up and it's like I had 30 minutes with and I want to hear the guy, okay, I'll, I'll do the 30 minutes. If you're the kind of a podcast that's like the week in wrestling or something and you're doing 25 minutes, I know there's nothing there for me. You know, there's nothing you can do I, I in think 25 you're, minutes. I think you're an anomaly because I've always heard that people like if it's too long, they're going to bail out. I, I was told like when I first started doing podcasts, I got told like 25 different things about – how much time it should be, blah, blah, blah. And I've just decided not to listen to anybody. I'm just going to do the podcast as long as I think it should go, and that's that. Um, but I think there are people who don't want to invest many, many hours. And then one of my favorite podcasts that exists today, Something to Wrestle With, yeah, uh, Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard, and you know, hosted by Conrad Thompson, those guys sometimes go four hours, or which five, I think yeah. is phenomenal. It's one, of the, mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons I love that podcast. So I, I, if anybody tells you, how long you should do your podcast? That's not somebody who I would take advice from ever again because I don't think there is a not a right perfect, or wrong. Uh, 
Yeah, perfect right and wrong. You should sort of just do what's comfortable for you. Let's talk about some of the good ones because this is interesting. Let's talk about something to wrestle. Uh, we talked about it in its infancy. When you were on, maybe the last time you were on, we kind of talked about how, wow, this is really good. Uh, we were both really interested to see where it, where it would go. And I laugh because those guys are hucksters. I mean, they are they are in it for the hustle. And they are really, I mean, they impress me uh, with how much they sell. Well, they're from uh, the wrestling business. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's it's oh. unbelievable to watch. I mean, they <laughs> Bruce Pritchard literally charges two hundred dollars a plate to eat with him the night before his live shows. You know, I mean, they're leaving no stone left unturned, but they have a resource in Pritchard that the only other person is Pat Patterson that knows the things he knows, and Vince McMahon. You're never going to get McMahon, right. and Patterson can barely speak English. And you're probably never going to get him. So, I mean, he is uh, a resource that is almost unparalleled in the world, and and Conrad is unbelievable at tapping into it. Now, the more I listen, and the quicker and quicker Pritchard becomes at his responses, the more I know that he is not necessarily relying on recall. Uh, he is very much using his creative license in some points, and he is 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 leaning on the fact that it's that it's his show and his recollection of what happened and not really worrying too much about whether it actually happened because a there's not really many people out there to refute him uh and b even if they do he can just say well that's how i remembered it uh but i think it's a brilliant show and it's the first thing i listen to every week well i would say that um you know clearly one of the things they do is you know they know what the topic they're going to discuss so so bruce is able to uh do some research right and they've gotten better at that Mm-hmm. They've gotten yeah, better. It makes himself more familiar. You know, again, Bruce. The reason that show works is because you have a guy who is basically one of Vince McMahon's right hand people right. for for a decade plus, and he's in the room when so many famous stuffs going on. Wow. You're a pro wrestling fan, so it can't be duplicated. You're correct. The only person basically who would do a much better podcast is Vince, but Vince is never going to do it. And he's not going to give you the honest right. answer. And Pat. So I, I love the podcast, but you have to you got to know that that Bruce Pritchard is in the wrestling business and like. You know, you take some of it as I think he's being truthful, and then you take some of it as he's either established, he's, he's either embellishing, or he's sort of spinning his own POV. That's why I think Conrad does a pretty good job, at least, of pressing him and sort of calling him out when it's real absolute bullshit. I mean, it, the, the, I, and I love the show, the, but you know that Bruce Pritchard is, weirdly enough, still pretty loyal to Vince. And a lot of times when you're listening to that show, you could sort of hear it and see it. Montreal um, screwed so that's up the, stuff. That, that's where you got it. That's where guys like Meltzer and other people, you know, I think will give you a better sense of stuff and that they just, you know, they never work for Vince. They don't have to be loyal to him. And so, but I, I think it's a great podcast just because they took, they figured out a new format and that they could take something very, very small and just, you know, um, and just go four hours on it, like a, like a singular wrestling show or a singular wrestling figure. And that's, that was pretty genius to me as opposed to a lot of the other wrestling podcasts, which are generally speaking, and this is nothing bad about this, but like, all right, let's talk about what happened on Raw, SmackDown, and New Japan this week. Right, yeah, no, I think it's genius. I love the way that they take their time. Like I said, I like longer form anyway, uh, and I think uh, that they've done a really good job. I really like, uh, you mentioned it, James Andrew Miller's podcast. I'm not a big Curb guy. Like, I think it's a funny show, and I watch it, uh, but, wow, he really kind of, blew it up for me a bit with the first season and his ESPN stuff has been great. I thought the two part 30 for 30 was, 
was really good, and the PTI one I thought was really good too. Uh, yeah, so I, that's, that is Miller's sweet spot. He obviously wrote the book on ESPN, yep. so I, I had no doubt um, that was going to be an excellent podcast. And the amount of re- the amount of interviews and research that he did, um, you know, it just clearly comes across the podcast. What do you think about the thirty for thirty one? Their their transition over. Uh, Any I opinion liked there? A couple of the first season. I haven't listened to the second season. I love the Dan and Dave one, and I thought the one with uh, what's the poker player's name? Um, was it Howie? Think of his name right. Uh, he's a poker player who met this woman. Oh, it's Phil Ivy. They would go into casinos, and yeah. basically they were able to uh, break some of the not break some of the casinos, but they were able to win some of the casinos with kind of an elaborate counting uh, scheme. Yeah, Phil um, Ivy. So I thought that was excellent. And um, I think I heard one other one that I didn't love as much. I think it was about Boston fans. So I haven't heard season two yet, but I like, I, I, you know, I like that. I like 30 for 30s format, and I think they're really talented. And a couple times I've listened to the directors of 30 for 30s being interviewed on the 30 for 30 podcast, and I really love that. Uh, I heard uh, Rory Carp being interviewed about the Flare Doc. So, yeah, I like it. I mean, they have really smart people working for the 30-30 podcast uh, division. So I think it's pretty smart. Yeah, it's just too short for me. I think they just leave way too much meat on the bone trying to keep them so short. Uh, what are? Give me a couple you like. Do you, do you listen to Pardon, uh, Pardon the Take? I love the I love the, uh, the podcast I listen to most is The Daily from the New York Times, which is okay. basically uh, a recap of what the biggest story of the day will be. They bring in a Times reporter who wrote something the day before. Uh, and they go pretty in-depth on that particular story. They also obviously do sort of trend stories in the world. Um, that, that's just, to me, the the, 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 the best podcast going today. Um, I listen to Something to Wrestle With. I listen to, because it's my favorite sports talk show in uh, North America, I listen to uh, Sportsnet 590's uh, Primetime Sports with Bob McCowan. Huh. So I'll always listen to that Toronto, podcast. Right? And they put the, yeah, to Toronto. They mm-hmm. put the show up there. Uh, I listen to... Uh, Jericho's podcast every now and then. I listen to part of my take every now and then. I listen to uh, Simmons when he has a media-oriented guest or the press box, the Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker. Oh, I love that. One. I love both those guys. And I'm trying to think what else in terms of like really regular listening. I listen to Man- uh, Stu Mandel and Bruce uh, Feldman's The Audible. Uh, if there's a college football story of note that uh, that captures my attention. That might be... Uh, I, I mean, previous ones, I, lo- I love Serial. I listen to Dirty John, which the L.A. Times did about a, an amazing true crime story. Um, occasionally Freakonomics. Oh, yeah, last one is On the Media, which is out of uh, um, WMYC in New York. That, that, that's probably, with The Daily, uh, I think the two best ones I listen to. So, you know, that's, I, don't listen to the, I listen to probably four or five of those every week, but... That's probably the rotation, and uh, yeah, it takes a lot of time at, at a certain point to listen to all that stuff, but I really do like the format. It's getting closer to April. Do you think Francesca should join podcasts? Do you think he will? Do you think he'll do something else? Have you thought about it all? I, I think he has to do something else because I think while I think he'll probably have some kind of podcast or doing something um, in podcast form, he, he's not going to get feedback from callers, and I think that's what drives Mike. And so I think the pod, I think going on Simmons' podcast and giving picks, I think it's a good thing. It keeps him a little current, but I think he has to do something where there's some kind of interaction with people. So whatever he does next, I, I think it has to involve people. But 
You know, maybe he does his own podcast where he just interviews people long form. He's going to get back in doing something. I just don't know what. The Sportscasts are here with Richard Deitch from Sports Illustrated on the Season 8 premiere. He was on Episode 3 of Season 1. He's been with us since the beginning. Uh, Richard, SI is also something that's kind of been with us from the beginning. Uh, I kind of built this show in a way on the back of SI. And I got to be honest, I've been disappointed in two things, and I want you to tell me. Uh, why I shouldn't be. One is the regression of the magazine on the iPad. Uh, when the iPad, the the version of the magazine came out on the iPad, it was it was a beautiful, interactive, high quality version of the magazine uh, that was available to me almost two days sometimes before my physical copy would be in my mailbox because right. it would go up there at midnight on Tuesday. And sometimes I wouldn't get that magazine until Thursday. So, like, I wouldn't even have to go to bed uh, on Tuesday before I'd have it. You know, so I would have it on Tuesday night. Now it comes out. I don't even know when. You know, I don't know when it comes out. And um, it's not interactive anymore. Uh, The quality is much lower. It looks more like a scanned version of the magazine than... I I don't know. It's just... The quality of it is not as good. I thought it was the future of the magazine. Obviously, that's not the case. What do you think has happened to SI on the iPad and that being a viable way for the magazine to grow and to maintain its audience in the 21st century? Well, the the iPad, I, I can't even tell you. It's like on the business side as to why the decisions were made to um, sort of change up the distribution as it did. Um, I, I would guess that... Um, and this, I think, is gone now. It's sort of, you know, it, it, we were doing it a certain way. We probably haven't done it that same way right in the last couple of years. It must have been just a financial decision in terms of how many people were subscribing via iPad. So right. that, that just would be my guess. Uh, but I understand where you're coming from in that, you know, when it was really hot, you could get that stuff two days before the print version came, which is, you know, which is really, really cool if you're a diehard Sports Illustrated fan. You know, in terms of everything else, I'm just an employee there. I can't speak for management. Um, but the the realities of the marketplace are that um, it's very costly to do a weekly magazine where you're printing you know more than three million copies a week, and so obviously there was a decision made by Time Inc. We we now just got bought by Meredith, right. but a decision made by Time Inc. to cut back in terms of frequency and then to try to hope to have bigger, larger, thicker issues. By weekly, of course, does is. It's going to take you more away from game stuff and going to probably provide you more uh, feature-oriented stuff, trend-oriented stuff. So really, in that case, it's up to the editors to come up with uh, the most interesting potential content that they have to put in the magazine. You know, the way I always looked at it and the way sort of was always pushed to me is that, you know, the website has to be the bridge between the magazine issues. And that basically where SI is now, it makes the website, that you know, just more and more and more and more important because it really becomes sort of the central point of, of a Sports Illustrated reader's life, because there's now a two, oftentimes a two-week period between the issues of the magazine. But, you know, like everybody else, we're just facing the same challenges that, that the entire marketplace has faced, is, is, is advertising moving to different places, the cost of print and, and producing a print product is just still massive, um, and subscribers, it's hard to get subscribers who are in their 20s. Right. Um, you know, the average age of SI is either in the 40s or 50s, 
And it's very hard to get a 24-year-old male or female to subscribe to SI, given just the, they, they have been used to free content their whole life. They mostly read if they read it all on their phone. And magazines to them are just a foreign thing. So it's um, – and that's very much a male magazine issue. And I don't think SI is just for males, but it's, it's, it's you know, it falls in the male magazine category because it's sort of under sports and, and men's mag- – quote-unquote men's magazines. Maybe the better phrase would be sort of newsweekly magazines. But that's hard where traditional women's magazines have been able to hold up a little bit better. Um, you have more younger women who will buy magazines at airports or newsstands, et cetera. That's just not the case for the 25-year-old male. A lot of those 25-year-old males are probably on Barstool or some other site uh, getting their sports news there. So SI is just, you know, the issues with SI, a lot of it are the issues just with what the market forces are today. Well, I like biweekly. I think that was a really smart move. You know, I don't have a problem with that at all because, like you said, it does – and it does, I think, kind of – like you said, kind of move the focus away from games to really what SI does great. And that's, you know, a 12-page article by SL Price. You know, like that's really what I want to find in that magazine anyway. But I think that – Yeah, I just – I honestly – I mean, I, I mean, I, just, I, just, I, hope, I mean, I appreciate that and I think that's great. I, I, I just wonder if you are an anomaly there. No, I, I hope you're not, but that's, that's what I wonder is – are there still enough people under 30 who are willing to invest in a 12-page story? Right, and maybe not, but I think that that's where I would have thought, and obviously, you know, uh, Chris Stone or whoever is smarter than me, but I would have thought that using the iPad or the digital resources as sort of a, a counterpoint to the magazine would have grown by now. Like, you know, I always viewed, when I would open an article on the on my iPad, let's say I open up, the original SL Price El Equipa football article that ran in the magazine. And I'm reading it there. I always like envision turning the page and seeing an embedded podcast right there with SL Price talking about this. You know, someone interviewing him about it or something. You know, um, just I always thought that the, the two could work together really well. And that I don't think it was really ever tried. Um, maybe a little bit. But, uh, you know, I think you actually did some interviews with people. Uh, f- that were sort of geared towards their articles that would run in the magazine. And I think that at some point they weren't yep. embedded on there. And that I thought was great. Um, and like you said, like SI still doesn't have an actual podcast network. I'm surprised. You know, I'm surprised. Yeah, that- I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I, again, part of that reason is probably that you have to sort of choose and pick where your resources would be. If money wasn't an issue, we would have that. We'd have podcast engineers and producers. Uh, there's more money to be made in print advertising and, generally speaking, digital advertising than podcast advertising, which is kind of why those decisions are made. Um, but I'm with you. I, you know, I, 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 because I'm in media, I try to be very careful about am I overvaluing the interest in media. And, the, you know, the, the overall question is always, like, how many people are interested in the behind-the-scenes of, of stuff? The, the Times has proven that with the daily which is essentially the top and most downloaded podcast that exists today in America that are interested if you give them a great product about uh you know making them smarter about stories that they're reading in the New York Times so i think it can be done i didn't to invest a lot to make it great like the, the the new york times i think at a minimum has like 10 people working on the daily so think about it, that's 10 salaries who are working on a singular podcast Right. So that's the, the you know if you that's the way you you know if you're gonna invest and hey I I, I couldn't even guess the exact salary for that for a million dollars easy if not more than 
and then two million in terms of all the money that you're paying for labor and production and everything else. But that's the kind of investment that you got to make in order to, you know, get some returns on the back end. Um, and I just think it's very hard for some companies to do that. Um, you know, in today's environment, especially the people who are selling, like, they want, I mean, you, know, you they need- want to see like deal, deals, deals in real time. I think you need millions for like the Wayne's World version of these things, but like. They weren't spending millions of dollars on Pardon the Take when they grew that into the biggest sports podcast in the world. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, and they're still they probably are, not. They're just, well, I mean, they have millions now. Right, but I don't know funding. if they're spending they're it on just, Pardon yeah, the Take. Yeah, I agree with you. They're disruptors. They broke the mold in that they, by sheer, I mean, I think that's a that's kind of a weird case that Barstool's fans are so loyal that I think that's that was the killer app. Uh, they obviously put on a great podcast and a funny podcast. But the real, the real thing there was that the fans of Barstool are so into Barstool and so loyal that, that by sheer will, they built that thing up. And then once it crossed over from the Barstool world into popular culture, then they started getting pretty much any NFL guest they wanted, and now the thing is a juggernaut. Right. All that's fair. I mean, I just think that you know, Joe Rogan isn't spending millions on his. You know, no, but he again. The thing about Joe Rogan, though, is that he does have the free promotion of uh, MMA, so you are getting that promotion. I mean, listen, there are some great podcasts out there that um, that you're correct. They're not spending hardly anything, and it's and it's and it's awesome. Which to me is like the best success stories of all. When you could just do a cool podcast and um, and and it gets traction. But I think as we're heading to a place where you got to have some smart people behind it in terms of the production end. And the editing end, um, and I think you'll see the new people in the sports space um, have success because they have some smart people behind them. All right, a couple more things, and I'll let you go. Let's look back real quick at the NFL season that was. We won't do it long. Real quick, uh, Tony Romo made a huge splash. He was uh, your SI Media Person of the Year. He did a fantastic job. This is what I want to ask you about him. Do you think his style and the way that he calls games can can it? Can it maintain – can he keep people on his side long-term, or are people going to turn on him? I don't – I mean, you know, everybody eventually gets some bad press because that's just the nature of sports television. But I think he can – I think at least certainly in the near term, I think he can maintain a lot of the people who really like him and his enthusiasm, his energy. Tony Romo is going to sound fresh for a couple of years. Right. That's not going to go away. Um, and then the question is going to be – you know, does he go to like the Collinsworth Aikman place where he established himself as somebody you know you respect and you want to listen to all the time, or does he go to a different place? I, I think he will. Um, the thing about Romo is he, you can't fake sort of his love and passion and deep understanding of the field. That's not going away, and so I think that's why he's going to be always good. Is he just he he's really interested in the X's and O's of football, and and that and that doesn't go away, and that already is going to make. Him- better than everybody else yeah i was um, gonna say because i think you know he was in the league for so long he was at the quarterback position most important position and he was really like a football uh film geek so you just combine all that stuff and i think he's going to be good for a while right i mean i was just going to say that as long as he keeps his enthusiasm as long as that feels authentic i think he'll do fine you know it's it's interesting to me because super bowl whatever the ravens 49ers super bowl was to me, that was like D-Day for Phil Simms. Like, everything he had done before was fine, and I think he was relatively respected in the position. 
Then that Super Bowl came, he had a disastrous day, and it was downhill. It, did, yeah. it was downhill I mean, yeah, for guy, him. You know, I mean, guys like well, hang you know, on, guys hang on. sort of. Let me finish. Go ahead. Okay, because that a bigger point. Uh, did that? I, w- I was wondering if you thought that the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago was that day for Collinsworth, because it just no. reminded me so much of it. I mean, it's such a bad day. Um, you know, felt like he was almost arguing with the league the whole game. Uh, people hated him on social media more than I can ever remember people getting on Collinsworth. Like I'm worried for him that that was the beginning of his end the same way it was for Sims and go ahead now. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, my, my, first of all, I, I would say no, just because that, that was the, the Collinsworth and Michaels got killed. I think because they were, they made wrong guesses about what the officials did and that's always going to be people are always going to kill them for that but you you if you're NBC you've decided that you want those those broadcasters to make determinations about rules and if they're wrong they're going to look bad and be embarrassed but that's the case that's where you know sometimes you get bailed out if you have a rules analyst there cuz the broadcasters don't go, don't have to go on so long right and fox but, you says know, too Collinsworth did not have a good game but I think if you watch him throughout the entire year he's still a top flight analyst he does his homework he's smart he's not very old and so, yeah, I, I just think he had a bad – I think they had a bad Super Bowl, not just Chris. I think Al did not have a good Super Bowl either. And so um, – uh, but I think they'll be back. I, I mean, I, I would just say step back from the Super Bowl for a second and just think of Collinsworth this year. And, you, and if you watch the game from him, you'd still think he's a good analyst. That's fair. Uh, Joe Buck has established himself not only as the best baseball play-by-play man in the world but the best football. He had his best football season by a mile. That I texted him after – that Saints Vikings game is one of the most devastating sporting events I've ever watched as a fan. I mean, I couldn't have been more crushed. But part of me was like, "Wow, good for Joe. He killed that play." I mean, that is maybe the best touchdown call I've ever Indeed. heard on television. I mean, he has really I always defended him, but my defense was, "Look at, I get it if you don't like him on football, but you can't argue as baseball." I'm kind of done with that. I think he's the best football and baseball play-by-play man in the world right now. Uh, well, he's he might be the best national play-by-play person. Well, sure, that's what I. Uh, yes, the, okay, of course, that's what yeah, I mean. Yeah, locally, right? You know, you're going to get into some people. Who right, are I'm like, taking that. Right, not, not Gary Cohen. It's that. That's very much a, a subjective thing. Joe Buck's always been an underrated baseball announcer, in my opinion. I'm glad to see him getting more props uh, nationally as a football announcer. I think he's good. Um, and I think he did have an excellent season. Is he the best football announcer, in my opinion? No, I'd still put Michaels or, or Ian Eagle uh, or Kevin Harlan in that class. But uh, but Buck's an excellent broadcaster, and there's no way around it. And I think as he's gotten older, and I think as people get far away from, he only got his job from his dad, you know, he's a smug guy, blah, 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 blah. I, I think all, a lot of that, not, a lot of the stuff he was unfairly tagged with, I think, starts to float away. And he's done um, a great job at so getting himself out there. He's an excellent there. broadcaster. Say again? No, I was going to say, uh, just piggybacking on what you're saying, he's done a great job on getting himself out there in places where, like you say, younger people are, whether it's Stern Show or Pardon the Take or wherever. He gets himself out there and shows his personality. And when he can do that, you know, I think some of that sm- that that incorrect perception that he's smug or that he, you know, is someone who doesn't deserve what he has or whatever kind of fades away because he is so good, you know, in dealing with those situations and just sort of having fun and showing that other side of himself when he can. So I agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's the, one of the, one of the things that Joe Buck has been really smart about self-deprecating and that's huge in broadcasting. If you can make fun of yourself, 
you're always going to be in a good place with people. Right. I mean, just look at how he handled the Artie Lang thing long term. I mean, who would have thought that day that that happened, that he would be writing a forward in Artie's book or be a regular yeah, exactly, on Artie's exactly. podcast? Perfect, perfect, perfect example. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the sports guest here finishing up with Richard Deitch, long term guy. You haven't done much busting of my balls. Uh, in this forty-five minutes, what's are you okay? Yeah, well, we're taking, are this, you we're okay? taking this in the morning, so <laughs> I'm. I'm. It takes me. I'm usually more of an afternoon person to like my brain works a little bit. Uh, you, you have me on, uh, you know, like level four as opposed to level nine. Give me some. Uh, give me a couple stars in the weeds right now. A couple guys in sports media that are lingering out there and getting ready to break out as more mainstream stars, whether it's podcasting, announcing, uh, or something else. You got a couple guys in mind? Uh, that's tough. I mean, I you know, I, I, he's probably established, but Brian Anderson, I think, is the next great play-by-play voice. Where he eventually, maybe he takes over from Marv on TNT. You know, maybe gets a bigger bump, uh, you know, out of Fox or something like that. But I think, I think that's sort of the next major big-time announcer, Joe Davis, who's the uh, calls the Dodgers, but is also a rising star at Fox. Um, would be another that I'd be watching the next uh, couple of years to take a, to take a big jump. Um, you know, obviously, I think in terms of just sort of watching, like, you have to, obviously have to watch what the athletic is doing, just in terms of, like, the amount of, like, remarkable hires, particularly in baseball, that they've made. Um, it's hard to ignore them in the space. Um, in terms of stars, uh, I keep thinking about that. Uh, Let me ask you this. Uh, you know, obviously... Go ahead. Do you think any of the barstool sports guys can break out away from barstool sports, or for them to remain successful, do they need to be tied to that brand and the loyalty that you describe uh, that the brand? That I, I, I think the brand? They, I think everybody associated with barstool would be more successful tied to the brand. Because okay, the brand can promote you. That said, I think if uh, Dan Katz and PMT um, like decided to sell their own podcast on its own and try to brand them on their own, I, I think they could they could do it. Um, and I think they'd have a decent business. Um, I, I think, though, that they would, you know, you, you're talking about the, this is like the value of working at ESPN. You know, you do a story on ESPN, and they can promote it via social media. They can promote it via TV, radio. You know, you're just talking about millions and millions and millions and millions of impressions. Um, that's the value, obviously, of working in a place like Barstool, because they can do that throughout. But those two guys, I think, definitely could, 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 they're big enough to sort of have their own brand somewhere. Um, if I'm thinking about the rest of that barstool group, could, is there anybody else that could be a breakout right now? Uh, I don't think so. But there are a lot of people who work there who are certainly well-known enough where they would get hired somewhere else, if that makes sense. Um, but in terms of just like being your own individual brand where you can be self-sustaining, I think those are the two guys. I know you but uh, but there but there'd be a big risk because they would be they, they would be losing their home base which is which automatically provides them a lot of promotion. I know you're watching and taking notes. How is Trico doing so far? Uh, he's doing good. I, I mean, I feel like pretty seamless and you know, the job interesting enough that job you're not really on television that much. It, it, the the amount of total airtime is actually not that great. But, you know, it's an you're an important bridge because you introduced the audience at 8 o'clock. Eastern Time every night, which is the most watched uh, part of the Olympics. Um, you got to do some in studio interviews. You got to be able to bring, go from sport to sport. You got to, at times, um, 
you know, you got to times comment on something remarkable that happened. So I think he's been great. Uh, I think he's been – he's not Costas. They're very different. Costas is always going to be, I think, more – uh, political, uh, more willing to offer an opinion. Trico's a little vanilla when that stuff, and we probably admit that as well. But he's always going to be prepared and professional. And I think NBC has to be happy with him. Are they going to regret NBC how they handled Sean White last night? Uh, I think they're going to be criticized, and rightly so. This morning, as we're taping this, Today Show interviewed him. So that's their advantage, is they always will have a new side element to try to catch up, but NBC never goes for, um, they never, in my opinion, offer challenging uh, interviews with any athlete. Uh, uh, they only go so far when it comes to drug involvement uh, or anything, or the criminality of the Olympics, et cetera. So, I mean, I, I personally think secret, not secretly, but I think if you put them on lie detectors, the NBC sports executives, they don't, they don't want to, they don't want to go down that road. They're trying to make it as non- controversial Olympics as possible. Um, so in that case, they float that over to the news side. Uh, but there wouldn't be the only ones who missed the boat. I think there's a lot of people who've been writing sort of flattering things on White who haven't touched um, this, this sexual harassment suit he settled until obviously last night when the world press had him in the press conference. Yeah, Jeff Passan hammered him today. I read his column before I called you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's, and that's going to happen over the next 24 hours, and it should. The SI Media Podcast with Richard Deitch airs two times a week, uh, wherever you get podcasts. The latest, 163, is a roundtable discussion uh, with a guy from the Boston Globe and uh, someone else I didn't know. Uh, what's his name? Robert That's Robert Littell, Littell of Black yeah. Sports Online. I didn't know him. Yeah, I don't I like read him. Black He's Sports fun. Online much. Uh, you can... open, your, open your horizons, man. Get out of Buffalo. <laughs> I only read Buffalo the world stuff. Is only Buffalo stuff. <laughs> uh, also, you can find him on Twitter, uh, where he will... Uh, excite you with his mix of controversy and you're drama trouble and with critique. This out. It's a, it's, you're, you're a little off your game today. Usually <laughs> smooth. Uh, at Richard Deitch on Twitter is where you can find him there. Uh, and of course, SI.com, if you can navigate it, his pieces run there. His Sunday piece is usually the biggest, the meatiest, uh, where he includes his favorite pieces of the week in sports and non-sports formats for you to read. Uh, do you have any questions for me, Richard? No, I do like the natural sound of your baby daughter in the background. That's cool. Leave that in, please. Would you like to speak to Paula? Sure. Paula. Come here, baby. Hi, Paula. Come here. Can you say hi to Richard? No, you can't wave. He can't hear a wave. It's radio, girl. You got to talk. She's waving and blinking her eyes rapidly. Can you say That's hey cool. now? She's 19. She's, she's 19 months. She's got, a lot to, she's got a lot to go heading forward. Say hey now. <laughs> Hey, now. Yeah. They don't perform when you need them, right, Richard? I know. That's true. I mean, they, when they get a little bit older, they can perform a little bit. But, yeah, as a general rule, they're, they're, not, they're not seals as unless so- you bribe them with chocolate. As soon as I, I close this off, all, the rest of the next two hours is going to be her running around the house saying, hey, now. So. Pretty much. <laughs> all right, buddy. Thank you for, for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. All right. Talk to you soon. All right, man. See ya. Bye-bye. Could've used a few pounds 
tight pants points hollering out She was a black haired beauty with big dark eyes One thing on the top of my agenda For the start of season 8 Was retiring Final Fantasy fanfare Ugh. It is still the book club segment uh, But we're going to go with Bob Seger and Night Moves As that little bumper to get us out of interview one And into the book club And see how that goes I kind of liked it for a first try through uh, And anything is better than Final Fantasy fanfare without, I'm not even sure how that happened uh, So I'm just glad to have uh, to have something new uh, Thanks to Richard Deitch for being on the show today uh, huge thanks to him. He goes way back with the show, and it was a fun 50 minutes catching up with him. Usually busts my chops a little bit harder than he did there, uh, but he said I caught him in a good moment. Maybe he hadn't had enough coffee to be in the proper ball-busting uh, mood. All right, with that said, it is time for Season 8 of The Book Club. The Book Club returns for a few reasons. Uh, one is, and the most important, it's a great way to get guests. People who write books love to promote their books, and they will do it anywhere, including this podcast. Uh, so I take advantage of that. And I like reading the books. I've read so many great books I probably wouldn't have read otherwise if not for this podcast. Uh, Dream Team by Jack McComb. I would have never read that if not for the podcast. Uh, Console Wars by Blake J. Harris, a book club book of the year award winner. Never would have read that without this podcast. Uh, so... I am excited to continue the book club, and we have two books uh, to start Season 8, and they are as follows. Everybody is Awful Except You by Jim Florentine uh, is one of our two book club books of the month for the start of Season 8. Jim has been on the show three or four times, and his comedy album, uh, Terrorizing Telemarketers, was actually part of the book club at one point uh, with him and Don Jameson, and he came on the show... Uh, And then Don came on separately to promote that. So that went really well. I reached out to Jim. He got me in touch with the publisher. And we are going to have a copy of Everybody is Awful Except You to give out. Uh, So I'm really excited about that too. Anytime we can do a contest uh, and give something to you guys, I'm even more excited. Uh, So Jim Florentine, Everybody is Awful Except You uh, is the first uh, announcement, a book club book of the month. Uh, Jim, like I said, has been a part of of it before. The second book is one I'm not even going to try to hide my excitement over, and that is All the Pieces Matter, The Inside Story of the Wire by Jonathan Abrams. Uh, Jonathan's last book, Boys Amongst Men, uh, was part of the book club. I want to say that might have even been last season. Uh, If not, definitely the season before that. And his next book is A Oral History of the Wire. And I've read some of this already. I'm pumped about it. I talked to Jonathan the other day, and he'll be on in about a month. Uh, Obviously, he's going to be swamped with uh, press for the book, but that's okay. We like to take about a month with it. I haven't talked to his publisher yet. Hopefully, I'll have a copy to give out. Uh, I'm going to push for it, but I'm really excited about both of these books. Uh, All the Pieces Matter, The Inside Story of the Wire by Jonathan Abrams, and Everyone is Awful Except You by Jim Florentine. Those two books are going to get us started uh, in the book club, and I'm looking forward to both of them. Uh, Jonathan and Jim will both be on the podcast uh, early in season one, so or in uh, season eight. So I'm looking forward to having both of them. Jim can be really fun, also really intimidating. 
Uh, anytime a comedian's on, for some reason, I get a little intimidated uh, about having them. But Jim is really cool, especially when I get him going on football. He can riff some anti-NFL stuff uh, really well and really fun. So uh, those are the two books. I'm looking forward to promoting them on Twitter, uh, talking to anyone who reaches out to me, the sportscasters at gmail.com or at sports underscore casters. I'm going to have a copy of both of the books, hopefully to give away. Definitely Jim's book, hopefully Jonathan's as well. Uh, and the book club is off to uh, a great start for season eight. With that said, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, episode two of season one was his first and he's been on all along since. He was with Yahoo Sports when we first met him, where he was the Puck Daddy. Uh, but now, of course, he is with ESPN.com. Uh, let's take a break, and we'll be right back with Greg Wyshynski. Right, our next guest is from New Jersey. He's graduated Maryland. And was on the second episode of the Sportscasters. It's nice enough to join us today in the season eight premiere. Now at ESPN, formerly the Puck Daddy, a warm Sportscasters welcome to Greg Wyshynski. What's up, Greg? How many episodes do you have now? Hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> is there, does there need to be a? Uh, is, is it like you know, like do we need to create a hockey like a, a hockey card checklist? Uh, card where we yes. chronicle all the episodes and get an, an official count. I used to hate. Wasn't that the worst when you'd open one of a pack of uh, cards and one of them was the checklist card? Absolutely. That used to be a thing that it would happen with some frequency when I was a kid. What it would drive me nuts is I love the sticker books, and it would, like drive me nuts. Like, <laughs> I'd get four packs and somehow I'd get six Randy Woods. It's like I already have him. <laughs> you know, like oh, Jesus. <laughs> How many Randy Woods stickers am I going to get? Like, oh, my goodness. Can I get one Mogilny? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, unbelievable. But I, I, was, I, feel like, I, feel like that's, I feel like that's an unwritten story right there. Like, whether, you know, Score and, 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 and Don Ross and Fleer and all them would create uh, more cards for louder Robbers. players. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's like, it's like when you go to McDonald's for the uh, Monopoly thing, you know that there are more you know, crappy pieces than there are like boardwalk. Right. So right. it's like, I wonder if they did the same thing with, you know, Brad Marsh back in the early 1990s. They had to. <laughs> when he was at the senators. There's like <laughs> six berets and 300,000 Yuri Himalovs. But, uh, yeah, precisely. Yeah, it's it's gotta be something along those lines. I was thinking about you. You kind of like you were on raw, but then you showed up on nitro. Right. Like, but the, <laughs> but the thing was, is that like Yahoo, they owned your, uh, your gimmick. So you you had a you had a rebrand on the on the on the, in the other federation, like you couldn't be big boss man anymore, you know. So they had to come up with something different for you. Mm, mm. So. Yeah, it's it, it, yeah, it was sort of like that kind of name changing type deal. Uh, you know, luckily they didn't you know go with something <laughs> like derivative and generic. Uh, you know, like I'm not X Pac or whatever, but yeah, exactly uh, the. Uh, it's it's yeah i mean it's it's a it's it's sort of weird because like in in that comparison like you know espn is basically the wwe right. <laughs> like, there's no it, 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 i think your comparison 
works from a, sort of a, a straightforward narrative perspective. But like, as far as like what the companies are, it's almost like I went from ECW to the, to the WWF. It's like we were a Yahoo would be outlier for a long time and kind of attacking things in a different sort of way and, and trying to reinvent how to cover stuff. And, uh, and then, then that's kind of stopped and went by the wayside and, and, you know, it's, it's still really good writers over there and really good editors over there, but I feel like the vibe wasn't necessarily what we had back when I started there. And then at ESPN, I mean, it's, it's just this giant, massive, uh, mothership of a, of a company. And it's been really fun and interesting to kind of see, see how the sausage is made there and, and meet the people behind the scenes and, and I'm just constantly impressed with the assemblage of talent that they have there. Not only the people on air, but the people writing on the site and the people putting together uh, everything that, you know, on the outside looks effortless as far as like the highlight shows and stuff. But on the inside is, you know, a lot of people pulling a lot of hours and, and doing some amazing stuff. It's, it's pretty remarkable to see that. Do you ever feel like, you know, you're this guy and you're like, hey, look over here, I'm doing hockey, you know, like pay attention to hockey. Or do you feel like hockey, you know, you feel, con- you know, that, it gets the appropriate amount of attention still. No, I mean, it's, I mean, it's no secret that it's an uphill battle, but that goes for anybody that's writing for a media organization in the United States covering hockey. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, and, 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 and I mean, it's also no secret that at ESPN, if, if they don't have the, 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 uh, the broadcast rights for a, a, a sport or a league, it's not going to get the same preferential treatment as other sports do. I mean, it's just, that's just a fact. It's just business. Um, the, the exciting thing, you know, in going there when, when me and Emily Kaplan made the jump last year was that they kind of said to us, and, and this was our, our idea as well, that, you know, to, to get hockey noticed there and, and also to break through the cacophony of other sports, you have to kind of cover it in a different way. It's, you know, the game stories are, are great when it's a huge, important game like the Stanley Cup final, but on a Wednesday night, in November, maybe not so much. So we've done some really great work and, and some interesting stuff to kind of like present the sport in a different way. I think in a more human way, I think in a more feature way. Um, and in, in so far as the NHL coverage, I mean, obviously Scotty and, and Pierre and, and Craig Costins did incredible work there before we got there, but it was a different kind of work than the work that, that, that we typically do. And, and by that, I mean like, I think there's a lot more like fan centric stuff that, that we've covered um, and in bringing it to that level and, and talking more about the culture of hockey than necessarily what's happening uh, in a boardroom at a team headquarters, that kind of thing. Yeah. And Craig, Craig, Craig switched promotions too, right? I mean, what's the athletic in this world? <laughs> <laughs> they might be WCW, yeah, he's, right? He's, he's, they got all this corporate money behind them sort of silently. They're, they're, that's more like it. Yeah. yeah. There you go. That's, they got Ted you know, Turner over yeah, there can, signing checks. Can can. Yeah, Ken Rosenthal walking through that door like he's Bret Hart. Yeah, like that's exactly <laughs> the proxy. The, the athletic is very much WCW. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to get to the Olympics in a second. But first, so the NHL season is obviously still going because they made the decision not to stop this year. And mm-hmm. it's to the point where we kind of we kind of know, like, these teams are who we thought they were at this point now, right? Like, we kind of know who everyone is. You know, teams that started slow that haven't like the Oilers are not are not getting it back at this point. Like the Oilers are not a good 2018 team at this point. Uh, so, like looking back from when you started this season, like are there a few things that jump out as as big surprises to you that have held up to this point? 
do you, uh, you, uh, I mean, like, as far as, like, just outside like big of picture, <laughs> Just, like, big picture NHL things. Like, you know, because some things will happen in 10 games that shock us. But by 20 games, they've kind of corrected. You know, where yeah. here we are, you know, yeah, much further down. And were there some things that surprised you that have hold up over the course of the year that are real things well, and, that's what, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, like, yeah. I, I feel like when it comes to surprises this season, I mean, Vegas just sucks all the air out of the room. Like, there's, it's unprecedented. It's, right. We've never we've never had an expansion team in sports, uh, in any sport that's been this successful this early um, and this consistently. And and the idea that you know we're heading towards the trade deadline and an expansion team is most likely going to be a buyer is insane. <laughs> it's just the expansion teams are literally put together so they can sell off their assets and get draft picks and prospects and build a farm system. And and there's every chance that Vegas isn't going to do that because they played that well. So. Um, I think that's by far the, the story of the season. I mean, there are some other kind of war horses that are staggering a little bit right now that might be, you know, right, surprises Chicago. in the sense that, yeah, Chicago, I, I had them as a playoff team this year only because I thought that maybe we could squeeze a little bit more water out of that stone. Um, and I thought that maybe the supporting cast that they had put together would have been a little bit better than it is. But uh, but they're they're older. They, you know, they're in a rut. Uh, they've got a lot of bloat in their contracts left over from those championship seasons and the supporting cast they have there hasn't been all that great. And Corey Crawford, their goalie uh, was carrying them for months before he was injured. And then it kind of all fell apart. And then the Rangers are an interesting one too, in the sense that, you know, they, they basically wrote a letter to their fans in the last week that said, we're giving up on the season. We're raising the white flag. We're going to start trading off some players to get younger and, and faster and better uh, than what we have now. And, uh, Lo and behold, I mean, they also still have one of the best goalies in existence, and there's a chance that they could make the playoffs, <laughs> despite having said that they are, you know, not going to, you know, keep their players at the trade deadline. Is there any chance that was like a motivation ploy? Because they've played really well since that letter's come out. They have, and, and maybe part of it is to take the uh, the pressure off a little bit to to just say, hey, listen, it's not. A, pr- a priority to make the playoffs anymore this season, but I think it's also, you know, they're they're gonna. There's a chance they could cut pretty deep there. I mean, it's one thing to say that Rick Nash will get traded because he's an, an unrestricted free agent, and and uh, everybody expects him to be traded. It's another it's another thing to to say that Michael Grabner will be traded because he again is an expiring contract. But then when you start talking about Ryan McDonough, now you're trading your captain. When you start talking about maybe trading Matt Zuccarello you're talking about trading the most popular player in the franchise other than Henrik Lundqvist. So I think it's also a thing where they, they wanted to calm the natives down because the fans were getting on them about, about the state of the team and the state of the coach, but also to signal to them and say, Hey, look, you know, this is, this is not going to be an easy time. We're, we're rethinking this thing. And, and maybe the guy whose Jersey you own is not going to be here by the end of February. Yeah. And that had to have been a tough sell to Hank. Imagine having to be the guy that comes and takes that to him. Like, hey, we're about to drop this letter. So, you know, I know you probably only got this window is closing on you, but, you know, we're maybe going to steal a year or two of that on you. And he's just still so good. Yeah. It, Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say it's, it's, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see exactly what happens there. Because, I mean, he – I love two minds. Like, I feel like he wants to win. I, I feel like, uh, you know, you look around at the other goaltenders that have uh, – been his peers and you know you have you, you go back to why you go back to hash you can go back to brodor all three of those guys have cups and hank obviously never has uh, never won one um by no fault of his own uh 
but at the same time, I, you know, it's a constant harangue that you hear from players that are later in their careers and, and have these decisions to make. It's not that they want to win. It's they want to win with their team. They want to win with their guys. They want to win for the organization that drafted them and nurtured them and, and all that stuff. And, you know, I think that we, you know, see sports as sort of mercenary sometimes. Um, but in hockey in particular, there's, there's a fierce loyalty to the franchise that you've been a part of and that you've worn a sweater for for a decade or so um, that I think that we really underrate. So at the end of the day, like as, as much as Lundqvist probably should move on to another team and, you know, uh, and, and try to win a cup for them, uh, I think there's a level of comfort living in New York and there's a level of appreciation for the Rangers where there's every chance that he's going to retire with this team versus ask out. Yeah, it's like that old, old that old school hockey thing, right? You play for the name on the front, not the back. And I think Longwood right. too has seen the Yankees and the Giants win championships in New York, and I think that he said in the past that he would he wants to win a championship in New York. But you, know, you mentioned some of his contemporaries. You know, Wah had won in 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 Montreal, but did leave to win more in Colorado. Hashik hadn't won in Buffalo, left to uh, win in Detroit, and really held the Sabers up at gunpoint, basically to force that exit. <laughs> You know, so he could do that yeah. if he wants, but it doesn't seem like he's going to, at least not yet. I think I think in both those cases, though, I mean, like, obviously the Wah trade was, was facilitated by a, a huge split with with Montreal as a franchise and, and the coach and the GM in particular. Right. And then in, in, in Buffalo, I mean, Hasek, Hasek was always a bit of a head case, right? Oh, so, yeah. I mean, like, oh, yeah. He, uh, yeah, so I, 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 think, I think Lundqvist is... Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't see there being a split with anybody in management, and I certainly don't think that he is uh, the same sort of uh, uh, mind, mindset of, of Dominic Hasek. I, I think he's Brodeur. I mean, like, it's a situation where Brodeur was, was with the Devils forever, um, and uh, and only at the very end when they decided through a, a, a managerial change and a, a, and a change of direction to uh, to go younger and, and, and all that stuff that he decided to go play out his last uh, few games in St. Louis. It's funny, I was going to say to you, you were talking about his contemporaries that have cups, and I was going to say, well, at least he's got a gold medal, and then I was thinking about it more, and it's like, well, so does Brodeur and uh, and Hasek. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think Wah won one. <laughs> I don't think. Or was he on the Salt Lake? Um, no, right? I don't remember if he won one. I know Brodeur was a starter for the Salt Lake team, but I don't know if Wah was yeah, on the team I or not, he... but anyway... Yeah, uh, was it, I forget. I forget if he was or wasn't. I, I'll look it up. I feel like talking. that might have been. Yeah, I, he might have been. I I I apologize for uh, for not remembering that. It's. I mean, I I kind of put it out of my mind because the U.S. didn't win. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, listen. This it, it's it's the hockey hall of fame, as they say, right? So I mean, I don't think Lundqvist really has to worry about not having a cup. I just think that it's you know one of these things where it's the ultimate goal for every player each season and we assume that he'd like to win one but at the end of the day i think his comfort level in new york is going to trump any of that the o2 canadian goalkeepers brodeur belfour and curtis joseph no well, there you go yeah so no no wa so wa does not have a gold medal so he's got that on patrick i won yeah. one with 2004 might have been a little a little late for patrick i think i well, think it was 2002 was right Oh, 2002. Yeah, 98 oh, yeah. and 02. And 98 was when Patrick was there when I just, they I lose just, to Hasek. I, I just, 
Yeah, I just I just mean that in the context of what Canada likes to do as far as bringing her bringing right. along. No, you're right. Other you're right. guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, since we're here, I guess it's a natural point to talk about the Olympics for a second. And I watched the first USA game, and it's cool because there's three Yale hockey players on there, uh, which is cool if you like Yale hockey like I do. But uh, I mean, clearly not doesn't really strike you as a, a, as a USA Olympic team for the ages. I don't know if they're going to be the subject of Miracle 2. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, but then I felt a little bit better when, when the, uh, the Olympians of Russia, or whatever they called, also lost. Uh, but, I mean, what do you make of this tournament? Anything at all? Like, do, do you care about it? Like, are you going to watch this closely? I mean, we're going to watch it because we're hockey people, right? But, like, do you mm-hmm. care about non-NHL Olympics or... Tell me what you're... Well, it's, it's, I do. I mean, okay. I, I, I'm kind of an Olympic fan across the board, so it, it's, it, maybe it doesn't, it's not appointment television in the sense that, like, you know, if Finland and Sweden are playing each other and there's NHL players there, it's going to maybe be an exponentially better game than it is without them there, and uh, despite the, the rivalry those countries have. So I think it's like, you know, I'm going to watch every Canada game, I'm going to watch every U.S. game, but it's those other games that might fall by the wayside where I'm not setting the alarm for 2.40 in the morning Eastern time, uh, to watch, uh, you know, two nations that don't have NHL players. As far as my interest level, it's 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 weird for me because, like, um, I mean, you know, clearly I'm more engaged when the NHL is there. But I've also covered the last two Winter Olympics, and uh, the the move to ESPN happened at a time where their credentialing was set. I would have gone if I had stayed at Yahoo to this one to cover the hockey. Um, and so to not be in in the mix of this thing every single day from like 10 a.m. through midnight, as is the case when you cover it, it's sort of a different vibe for me to begin with. It's it's sort of sort of weird covering this from afar, you know, uh, versus being uh, in in the media scrums every day and being at the rink every day and everything else that comes with it. So uh, I think just in general, there's probably going to be a slight downtick in interest for me just because I'm used to. Uh, a more uh, vigorous uh, level of exposure to it. I couldn't help but daydream a little bit during the game yesterday about Eichel and Matthews and <laughs> Gaudreau, you know, and all those guys and how they could have been there and how cool that yeah. team would have been, you know. And, it uh, it would have been fantastic. And I, I, I wrote about this on ESPN a couple weeks ago, like, I wholeheartedly believe I wholeheartedly believe we could have won gold, and that we probably Absolutely. would have won gold with due respect to Canada. Because the thing about the U.S. and 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 their play in the Olympics is there's always this moment when they don't believe that they can hang with with Canada. We, we saw it in, in you know 2000 and uh, and and uh, in 10. We saw it in 2000, especially in 2014. In 2010, I feel like they they felt like they could hang because they beat him in the prelims and because Ryan Miller is playing out of his mind, but I don't think they ever thought they had the same level of offensive weaponry as Canada did. And in, 2000, in Sochi, it was a joke. I mean, like, the Americans rolled through a bunch of games offensively, and then they played Canada, and it was like, we have to win this one nothing and let Jonathan Quick have a shutout. Like, it was a complete, total change in mindset. And then we saw it again at the World Cup, too, with the way that that team was built in an effort to beat Canada. This would have been the first time that you could look at the U.S. roster and that assemblage of talent, especially at the center position, and say that it was, if not every bit as good as Canada, that it, it could play every bit as good as Canada. And uh, and that would have been a remarkable change for, for this rivalry. And so many kids would have been on that team that have grown up beating Canada, you know, beating them in the under-18s. <laughs> you know, I mean, these are yeah. kids who now believe, like, that they're, you know, it's, it's, it's like you say about mindset, you know, we go into a World Junior Championship now, 
And anything less than a medal is is an atrocity, you know. And anything less than a gold is a, mm-hmm. is, is, a, is a disappointment, you know. And that is not yeah. that wasn't the case when the Chris Chelioses of the world played in the World Juniors, you know. Yeah. Jeremy Roenick was like, I mean, on the you, first you, ever World Junior team we had that was any good. And although Canada will sometimes get us in that tournament, we almost always win the under 18s Almost always. Yeah, you know, and and, and looking at these to answer your previous question, like. And looking at the teams that are in this tournament, though, I, I don't really have many high hopes for the Americans. No, I mean, no. uh, I'll, I'll have fun watching them. I think it'll be fun to see Jordan Greenway before he uh, arrives at the Minnesota Wild. Uh, you know, I, I think that it's fun to see some of these guys that we haven't seen in a while uh, come back and play. I'm, I'm, I'm here for Ryan Sapolsky as a goalie. I think he's, he's, uh, he's quite good. I had a chance to interview him and the other two goalies for Team USA uh, after the team was announced. Uh, he's 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 an interesting guy and, and an interesting story in the sense that like just had absolutely no traction here in, in, in North America, like never played in the NHL, and then he goes over uh, overseas and becomes like a minor celebrity for yogurt in Finland. It's 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 those types of stories that'll keep me interested. But I mean, you look at the way Canada played together uh, versus the the talent level in the U.S. team. It's a little staggering. I will say that there's one thing that has me holding out hope that they're going to be all right is that that Slovenia game was a classic case of uh, kind of shooting your wad before you're supposed to. You know, they right. kind of did that game, and uh, and they were all over it for uh, 20 minutes and then the, for part of the second period. And then by the time the third period rolled around, they had nothing left. And, and Slovenia was carrying play against the United States, which is unheard of. So I think, I think after that first game, getting it out of their system, uh, maybe they're going to be able to manage their energy better because um, that's the real key now. The real key, and they, and they know it, is that they can't, they can't empty, they empty their bag in the first period uh, and then expect to win a game um, when you know the other team just needs a, a spark and, and Slovenia got one on kind of what, what shouldn't have been, even been a goal. Uh, and, then, and they were off to the races after that, and the Americans had no answer. Yeah, I'm interested in Donato because before the Olympics, the buzz was he's never going back to Harvard. You know, and then I wonder yeah. like if the Bruins watched him basically write the book on how not to play three on three hockey and had a second guess. I mean, he he <laughs> you know he's a comes down to start the shift, falls down, disaster, starts the the breakout the other way, and then loses his man. I mean, maybe they don't care. It's it's anecdotal, I suppose. But I mean, twenty two goals yeah, exactly. at Harvard in. You know, 22 goals in ECAC in a season is a lot. You know, he, he left with about six or seven games left and already had 22 goals. You know, he might be the perfect piece. Is like, let's not make a deadline trade. Let's just make Donato the deadline trade. And, and you know, he doesn't have to play in a top line here. Maybe we can sneak six, seven goals out of him in the long run. I don't know. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. He, yeah, he's interesting to me. Uh, the sportscasts are here with the former Puck Daddy, Greg Wyshynski. He's at ESPN now. That's where you find him. That's that's his wrestle, his Monday night show is ESPN Raw uh, now. He's on <laughs> that over there. Uh, so you can find him there at ESPN.com and, and at Wyshynski uh, on Twitter. You can find him there. Uh, what, what interests you in the most as we go into the trade deadline and the end of the NHL regular season? Like what will you be following closest What's what's got your, your eyes um, open? There, I, I, I think there's a clear separation be, between uh, a few teams uh, and, and others. I think Tampa, I think Nashville, and I think Boston, and and maybe you could throw the Penguins in there still. Are 
a little bit head and shoulders above others. Winnipeg might be there too. I think they're just sort of like a not, an unproven commodity. And then Vegas, no one really knows what we have with them when it comes to being a playoff team. Right. Um, so I'm going to be really interested to see what they end up doing to bolster their group, especially Tampa. Like Tampa knows they have to add a defenseman. So the question is, is it going to be a rental like a Jack Johnson or a Mike Green? Or is it going to be a Ryan McDonough for the next two years before they have to pay a bunch of money to Kucherov and Vasilevsky? Um, in, in the case of, of, uh, of, you know, Boston's looking at defensemen and also looking at a, a forward like a Patrick Maroon or a Rick Nash, um, it's going to be interesting to see what the teams that feel like they are very close, maybe one piece away from the cup, end up doing. And then the other thing, too, is that it's going to be really interesting to see exactly what the prices are on these guys. I mean, the, you know, the Sabres out of the gate, like early last, late last year, basically set the price for, for Evander Kane at, a pick, a prospect, and then an, 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 a roster player. And uh, you've heard the same kind of thing being mentioned for Rick Nash. You've heard the same kind of thing being mentioned for other guys, too. And, you know, there's a finite number of teams that need left wings that score goals. Uh, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what the prices end up being for these players if they come down at all or if, if the market dictates that they're going to get the prices they're looking for. You got to think with uh, Kane being a, a UFA after this year, the price has got to come down a little bit there, right? They can't get stuck with him. No, I mean that, that, that's yeah, exactly, and, yeah. and I think in the case of Nash, like the same thing. The Rangers aren't aren't looking necessarily to. Uh, I mean, maybe they bring him back, maybe they don't. But uh, you know, there's the only guy that you're pretty sure will end up back with his team is probably Pat Pat Maroon, who the Oilers really like, and you know, I, I think they they see him as a piece that could get traded someplace, and then you know, come back around and sign with them in the summer again. You starting to believe in those the, the Devils? I mean, they got a, an MVP candidate. <laughs> uh, they do. They've had a good season. You got to be pumped. Yeah, I mean, they, they very much have an MVP candidate yeah. in, in Taylor Hall. Yeah. I, I think uh, there, there's a few guys that are sort of like this. I think Nathan McKinnon's like this, Johnny Goudreau's like this, and Hall's like this, where you, you break down the scoring on those teams, and, like, they're just, just like, Double digits better than a lot of the guys in their right, team. Jack Eichel all like that too. <laughs> well, he was at yeah, I think sixty six percent before he was injured. Sixty six percent on their score. Yeah, I mean Hall is I think twenty maybe twenty five points better than he's here at this point. It's insane, and, and and you could see the way the Devils played with him out of the lineup too. The other sort of eye test that they have for the Hart Trophy, where they kind of fell apart with him out out of the lineup. I think he's a real viable candidate. I just think that there's a few people that are in the queue ahead of him. And as far as the team goes, like. They're soldiering through some pretty significant injuries right now, including to Corey Schneider. And uh, if they can hang tight long enough to where they get him back, um, and maybe Marcus Johansson and Brian Gibbons as well, then there's a chance they could make it still. But I, I still feel like we've seen the best hockey that they could play earlier this season. But that win in, uh, in OT against the Flyers was enormous, not only for the standings, but also just to kind of give them the confidence uh, that they can they can still pull these wins out. Yeah, Eichel was at 53 when he got injured, and O'Reilly was at 39 when Eichel was injured. So another huge, yeah. huge gap there. Um, looking forward, playoffs are, are obviously going to be huge. Uh, I, I joked with Emily when she was on because she had Edmonton as her Western uh, conference representative in the cup. Uh, looking back on your preseason picks, do you have to make an adjustment? Are you changing it? Are you riding with what you have? Uh, who do you like with the advantage now of 50 games or whatever we've played, 60 games, whatever it is? 
Well, I mean, I, I, I had Nashville out of the playoffs, so I mean, I'm going to have to So you're going to change that. that. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to adjust there. Yeah. Um, yeah he, uh, they, I mean, that's, that's a situation where I really thought that them losing Ryan Ellis at the beginning of the season and maybe some hangover from being in the cup final uh, was going to, you know, maybe mean a downtick for them. But, um, I mean, clearly they're – not only are they, they great, but they also improved themselves with that uh, Kyle Turris trade in a way that I didn't anticipate. Um, so it's that that would be the team that I would revise my pick on and, and look at them as being a potential cup winner. And um, It might be in the other conference. Uh, I think Boston's a bit ahead of schedule. I, I knew that they'd be pretty good with the combination of vets and kids, um, but I think that they are... I think I, I underestimated how dominant that uh, Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak line um, was going to end up being, and, and they they drive they drive the bus on that team, and 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 they're just sent. They're one of the I chronicled it the other a couple of uh, of I think it was last Friday in the Weekly Reader on, on ESPN just the um, the absolute dominance of that line at that at one point they had only given up four goals as a unit, um, and if you look at like the time. Uh, spent together and everything else that makes them one of the most dominant lines of the last like 15 years. All right, let's end on this. Uh, it's gotten a lot of steam in, in the Buffalo papers. I'm not sure why, because we're never part of the playoffs, but uh, there is a, uh, it seems like a wave building to change this awful format. Um, do you want to change the, po- the playoff format and, and what would you do? Just go back to a one eight or. Yeah, I would just go back to the one eight. It's, um, I, 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 I felt that that was a situation of it not being broke, so why fix it? I thought it was a fine format. I thought it was producing pretty good matchups. I mean, I understand from a marketing perspective why they changed it because they, you know, they, they want to ensure that you're going to get a rivalry match in the first round and get people excited for the rest of the playoffs. And, and I think the wild card format also kind of lends itself to the, the sort of forced parity that this league has uh, to keep fans interested. Um, but you know, it's at, at the end of the day, uh, I'm, I was never really a, a fan of changing it. I will say this though, that like this, this notion of like there being a drumbeat to change the playoff format, I think is, is really overstated. Um, I was at the all-star game. I talked to a bunch of people. There's a lot of teams and a lot of people that are really happy with the format that don't have a problem with it. And then you have a couple of squeaky wheels who get their voices amplified in the media, like Barry Trotz, who find it to be abhorrent that the Capitals play as well as they do, and then they're locked into playing Pittsburgh every season. So I really think it's, at this point, on a uh, kind of a case-by-case basis, and it's not as if you know people are throwing chairs in the, in the Board of Governors meeting to try to get this playoff format changed. They should be, because it stinks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the Sabres are going to win the lottery finally this year, right, Greg? Um, well, no, I mean, like the problem, the problem for you guys, problem for you guys now is that Chicago is going to be out of the playoffs and we all know they'll fix it for them. Right. Right. That's right. The Knicks, look at the Knicks treatment. So. But, but again, like I, I, I say that as a joke, but I mean, again, like we, right. we all know, but seriously, like, inherently, <laughs> we, but no, but seriously, like we all know that the NHL has absolutely no ability to fix the draft lottery after the McDavid draft. Like there's right. He would have never, you're ever going to fix it. Right. <laughs> You're not. You're going to ensure, at least ensure, that he goes to a, a, a market that's larger than Edmonton. It would have been Buffalo, alone, or Toronto, you know, if they were going to fix it, right? I mean, of the teams that were out there. Sure, Buffalo, yeah, or Toronto, I, yeah. 
for sure. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Something along those lines. But, like, yeah, if they were ever going to fix it, then McDavid would never have been in Edmonton. So we can we can put that, that conspiracy theory to bed, I think. All right, you can find Greg Wyshynski at ESPN.com, at Wyshynski on Twitter. He's got the Puck Soup podcast uh, as well. What else do you want to plug? Anything else, Greg? Well, um, we, uh, two podcasts. Like you said, it's the uh, the Puck Soup podcast with me and Dave Lozo. We actually have it, it go it's weekly, and then we also have a Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com uh, slash puckSoup. Uh, $5 a month gets you six bonus episodes, and it's gone really, really well, and, and we appreciate everybody who's signed up for it. And then me and Emily Kaplan, who's been on your show, have a podcast called ESPN on Ice, uh, which is uh, also weekly and uh, more more in the vein of my old podcast with Merrick. It's sort of a straight sort of newsy, talking to people about hockey, that kind of thing, while the Lozo podcast is definitely a bit I'm trying to more think like uh, comedic and, and stupid. All your podcast partners you've had over the year. You're like... Uh... But Van Halen was singers, right? Like you're like Eddie Van Halen, and you had, you know, Pizzo is like your uh, Rob Pizzo is like your uh, your your Sam your, your um, uh, Roth, and then Merrick was your Hagar, and then you know Lazo comes in. Maybe he's your your uh, Gary Sheehan. Um, he's my Gary Sheehan. Sheehan, yeah, Sheehan. My bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was thinking of Billy Sheehan. <laughs> um, yeah. So. I don't know. He he might be my he might be my Hagar because like I think that that Roth is is Merrick because. People like that incarnation the best, and it was arguably the the most successful of of all the incarnations. And then Hagar, you know, comes along, and and we're doing we're doing we're doing different stuff, it's selling well. <laughs> right. People seem to really like it, uh, but but people always bring up the fact that that he's not David Lee Roth. Right. They long for eighty four, despite the success of fifty one, fifty, and eighty six. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for being. Uh, thanks for doing this thanks, all man. the way since episode two. I appreciate it. No worries, man. Thanks. All right, I want to thank... Greg Wyshynski for being on the podcast today. I also want to thank uh, Richard Deitch. Don't forget you can find this podcast at soundcloud.com slash sportscasters. And you can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. You can email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. And please find our podcast, if you dig it, on Apple Podcasts. Maybe give a review. Five stars even would be great. Uh, Or one, I mean, if you think it's shit. I don't want you to lie. Also, you can find us on Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. If there is a spot where you're looking for us and we're not there, you can email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com, and uh, I will make sure to get it to get it set up. Uh, I want to try to organize my plugs as best I can going forward. Uh, for the Motivation Through Music podcast, you have a nice plug sheet, uh, so I need to make one for this one. But uh, plugging everything, uh, I laid out most of the sportscaster stuff. No guest announcements just yet for next week. That's a fluid situation, although I'm working on guys like James Andrew Miller. Uh, I'm also working on uh, some former Grantland guys. Uh, A bunch of uh, emails out, and we'll get two for next week, uh, which I'm looking forward to. Don't forget that the Arm Drags and Rainmakers podcast has two episodes so far, the front and back end of our pilot. 
And you can find that right here on this uh, very feed. You don't have to go far. Just look down a little bit below this one and you should see it. Uh, the very first episode, we looked at an episode of Wrestling Challenge, uh, the B-syndicated show that WWF had in the 80s. I introduced that to Mike. We go through the cast and characters of that show, uh, and we start our build towards WrestleMania 3. Uh, the next arm drag show, which we're going to record any day now, uh, is based on the January 1987 episode of Saturday Night's main event. Uh, and also the other half of that pilot, uh, Mike made me watch some matches, uh, the first Rainmaker show. Uh, you can check that out. we got to make a Twitter for that uh, and an email and all that stuff. But right now it's just in pilot mode. Uh, hopefully we can get on Pro Wrestling Only as part of Place to Be Nation. If you want, maybe look up those guys. Uh, I want to congratulate a friend, Peter Winson, uh, who just finished the first year of his podcast, Greetings from Allentown. Also a one man show. He kind of gave me the uh, he kind of gave me the 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 feeling that I could do this. Like, oh, you can do this on your own. You know, don't be don't be afraid to step out and 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 do what do what you do. And because Peter's so great at what he does, on greetings from Allentown. I figured, all right, get back out there. So you can find his podcast same place you find ours. Uh, he is on PWO, and so check that out. Greetings from Allentown. A really great podcast. All right. With all that said, it's one last thing uh, for me today. The ep- the the debut, season eight, episode one. Once again, I want to thank Don for everything he's done for the podcast over the years. I want to thank anyone who's listened to an episode in every season. Uh, I want to thank my friends and my family who supported the show. Uh, and I want to talk, I guess, for one last thing, a little bit about something uh I've noticed about being a dad. I, you know, I like to use this one last thing to talk about something different. Uh, kind of peel back the wall, kind of show you who I am. Maybe get a little bit personal from time to time. And, uh, you know, I've been a dad now for 19 months, and it's really cool. It's really fun. I often tell my wife, you know, this is like the best thing we've ever done. You know, it's like, wow, we, we, got, we got something right, like really right. That feels good. Uh, but I've noticed that... Uh, that being a dad leads you to places you, you would have never been uh, before, uh, like a dance studio uh, for 4.15 dance class on a Thursday. Uh, the closest I had been to a dance studio before being a dad was uh, roaming the halls of performing arts and getting chased away from the dance majors by the dance teachers and down to my end of the hallway in the school. Uh, but sure enough, a couple weeks ago, Tammy was somewhere and Paula needed to go to dance, so... I took her and I had fun. I had fun with her uh, singing songs and, and doing whatever you do at 18-month-old dance class. Uh, also, Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, swim class. Uh, I never took a swim class really growing up. I did go to Lovejoy Pool a few times when I was younger, but then my bike got stolen from there and I'd had enough with Lovejoy Pool from that point on. Uh, I often wished I often wished that it would have been a movie theater like it was before it became a pool. Oh, hey, Paula. Paula's joining us here. Paula, you want to come talk? You want to come be on the podcast? Come here. Can you say hey now? Say hey now. Yeah? Yeah. What do you want to tell the people? Just taking my headphones. 
so yeah, I mean, anyway, the point being, I, I did see some pictures of my friend Sean on Facebook, who's a, a great listener of the show. Hi to Sean. Uh, and he was at a daddy-daughter dance over the weekend. So I know something like that will probably be in my future. But, you know, it's fun. It's fun doing things with her. When I took her swimming on Sunday, I mean, she was just so happy. You know, she just loved it so much, and it made me happy. Um, so it's cool. It'll be interesting what other things uh, I will do. You know, I, I, I guess over Christmas break, uh, we took her to a place in the mall with slides and balls and things like that where she plays called Billy Bee's. My nephew goes there with her. Uh, we've taken them to like uh, Chuck E. Cheese and to Dave and Buster's for video games, uh, you know. And the older she gets, uh, the more we do with her. And it's she's a girl, and I was never a girl, obviously, too. So uh, she's got all these interests that uh, she's exposing me to, uh, and it's really fun. It's really fun to do, to do that stuff with her. Thanks for sticking with us through eight seasons. Thanks to Richard Deitch. Greg Wyshynski for being on the show today. Till next week. Yeah.